What if I told you that your store was dumb? All right, let me rephrase that. What if I told you that your store could be a little smarter? I'm talking about Bold's new app, The Brain. In the brief period, it's been live. It's been making a massive amount of money for stores. So The Brain is this app that uses machine learning to make your store smarter. And one of the ways it works today is by displaying recommended products on your store beside any other product. Not just the dumb, these things are in a collection together, but actual recommendations based on purchase data. It's probably already the best recommended products app for Shopify, and they're just getting started. So my favorite feature actually has nothing to do with, with that. It's their integration with their other apps, and specifically their product upsell app. So if you have both, it makes your upsell offers smart. So you've got product upsell installed, you install Bold Brain, and now imagine this. Upsell offers just create themselves, but not just automatically get created. They get better than you could ever create them yourself because they're based on this machine learning data. The results from the early adopters are in two, and some stores are seeing more conversions in a month than they used to see in an entire year. Now here they've got a couple other integrations coming down the pipe too. It integrates with Recurring Orders app and the Loyalties app. So you should check it out now. I guarantee that machine learning and e-commerce is going to be huge. And the stores that adopt it now will have the advantage. Bold's Brain app is simply the easiest way to do that. It's free. You can install it right now by going to brain.boldapps.net. That's brain.boldapps.net. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines. And it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. And welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, visiting, listening, speaking to you from Skokie, Illinois, high atop uh, the old orchard, beautiful mall. My office overlooks the Lord and Taylor parking lot. How exciting for me. Looks like things are, are happening over there at the Lord and Taylor. Um, and today on the show, we're talking about a really powerful and potentially free marketing strategy all right so free free it still takes effort there's still there's time and resources involved here in all these things but you guys love stuff that's you don't have to pay for right um you know people i think that's the the attraction that people have to seo and social media as 
um, as traffic generation strategies, as marketing strategies, because there isn't the huge ballooning costs associated with it that pay-per-click marketing can have, right? Especially if you don't know what you're doing, you're experimenting with, with pay-per-click marketing. It's an easy way to blow thousands of dollars. Well, conversely, with uh, these other efforts like SEO and content marketing, you're going to be spending your time. But either way, anything worth doing is going to take some time. And you could certainly uh, improve your chances of success if you've got a plan. If you're not flailing about, which I see a lot of early new entrepreneurs do, and instead are, are acting with intention and being mindful. So today we're going to lay out some some plans here, some strategies on how to approach content marketing in your store. You know, what kinds of content marketing you could do. Uh, who may or may not be a good fit for it? How do you come up with what the heck to write for your blog? Those sorts of things. And can you hire out? Can you get it off your plate? That's what we're going to talk about in today's show. And joining me to discuss it from beautiful, much warmer uh, <laughs> San Jose, California, is Davish Canal. And Davish Canal has two agencies. Wow. Oh my gosh, I only have one. He's got two agencies. Uh, Davish, what are your two agencies? <laughs> I know. I, I sometimes think about having only one, though, so that should make you feel better. The agencies are Grow and Convert, which is the growingconvert.com, which is the content marketing agency. And then the older agency is growthrock.co, um, and that's an A-B testing and conversion optimization agency. Well, I like having that um, that very clear niche and positioning with those things. Because you couldn't do, have an agent that's like, we do content marketing and split testing. It's just, it's not crispy. It doesn't sound good. Having a these very clear laser-focused positioning statements is the the big advantage you get out of having the the two separate agencies. Um, so, to, uh, quickly, briefly, tell us about yourself. How'd you get here? What are you doing? Yeah, I mean, I started with the A-B testing and conversion optimization agency. And it was a, a, a road from design, web design, to then testing it. I have an engineering background, so testing and, and doing statistical analysis and figuring out what the winner is, and just the whole scientific method was right up my alley. Um, and then that has, I've been working with e-commerce companies and increasing conversion rates for a long time there. And then um, I met my partner and so with for the Grow and Convert, the content marketing agency, through an argument we had at a marketing dinner about content marketing and how viable it was um, for various companies. And, you know, as most people want to do after having a vigorous debate about something, we decided to start a fight together. <laughs> and that has ballooned into a content marketing agency. We have a content marketing um, course that we launched some, uh, sometimes. And, and yeah, so that's where we are, two agencies, one life. I like it. So, all right. Tell me, what is the, what's your attraction to content marketing? What, why do you get excited about it? What's sexy about content marketing? Well, so I think a key thing there is what you were saying about it being free. Now, free obviously has an asterisk to it, right? So any huge company doing content marketing, for sure, it's not free. You have to pay for people to do it. Um, and there are costs associated with it. But for entrepreneurs, um, it's really, it's free from a immediate cash perspective, right? That, that you can say honestly. And that's a big deal because for entrepreneurs um, and people earlier on, or even kind of like middle-sized businesses, depending on how you define it, 
cash is usually more of a valuable resource than time. For sure, for many people, it flips. At some point, you, you transition and you're like, oh, now we have cash. I don't want to like spend my own time doing it. So you have to hire people to do that. And that's great. You've reached a milestone. But early on, you have plenty of time and not as much cash. And then things that you can spend time on doing are really um, worthwhile as opposed to what you said paid ads. That's like attraction number one. Attraction number two is that it's just, it, it's an everlasting source if you get it going from two channels. And what I mean is with something like Facebook or Instagram ads, right? The moment you shut the switch off, that traffic is gone. It's not, it's not going to continue to come. Whereas if you build up a bunch of really good content, there's two places where traffic is going to continue to come. Even if you take a month vacation and don't touch anything, right? It's going to come from Google organic search, right? But obviously it's mostly Google and then um, referral links. So people link to the content and their tra- they continue to send you uh, traffic that way. And maybe even you can say social, right? Because people continue to share your content and that drives traffic. That means that content allow it sort of just, it can, it can just continue. It builds this momentum and the momentum continues without you. And that's really, really valuable. I, so those are the two things that are really, actually, there's also something where it's just also fun. There's a creative aspect to content marketing as well, right? So for a lot of brands and something that um, we can, we'll probably get into later, for brands, especially e-commerce brands where it works the best are brands where there's already a culture. It's on a topic where there's a culture of reading and knowledge and sharing, right? And for those brands, there's something interesting and fun about content marketing. So even this conversation, right? So you having podcasts, there's something beyond just like the viewership and subscriber count where you're just, you're just creating something you're discussing with these people, you're having these intelligent conversations, right? And so that I, there's something genuinely interesting about that. And I feel the same way when I write articles for either agency about say content marketing or about e-commerce UX and split testing, where there's just something interesting about like creating the content and writing it and sharing it and discussing it. Even if, even outside of the content providing me sales or, or, or deals for the agency, there's just something interesting about it. So that's, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. Con- content marketing works really well when you love what you do, when you enjoy it. Like for us, right. this is very much, I mean, this, this is the core of our content marketing is the, the core of our, our marketing and of our legion, right? It's like number one, that number two. Right. Uh, word of mouth right. and referrals. Um, but it's, it, it works because it's genuine and it, it, it being genuine also makes it easy. It, you know, yeah, editing the stuff, there's getting the guess. It's, and I got to write notes. It's time consuming, but I love it. This is how I'm educating myself on e-commerce. I'm talking to interesting people every week and a wide variety of people. And right. It's like, okay, I would do that anyway. This would, the, Right. Before this, I would have just said, "Hey, you, can we jump on a call for twenty minutes and just, you know, shoot the shit about where we're at um, right. in in this industry?" And those were, those calls were always fun. And one day I thought, "Man, if I could do that, maybe I could record it and share it with people." And sure enough, now you know we've got half a million downloads and a Facebook group that we share the stuff to, and it powers a newsletter where I, I share the stuff to. Um, and then we do, uh, started, you know, messing with YouTube videos, which was a lot of fun. I committed to do one a week just because I like driving. And I thought, man, I could just drive and talk about stuff every Sunday. Why not? And that's what makes it work is it has to have that. Yeah. There's, 
there's two things in this that, and, and I'm not ripping on paid advertisements. I'll say for the e-commerce clients, and we have on the, on the CRO side, like eight-figure e-commerce brands. Some of them are knocking on the next digit. And they paid advertising in, in all cases is a massive, massive channel for them. At Absolutely. That time, right? Any e-commerce brand at outside. So I'm not ripping on that. But these but, things aren't mutually right? exclusive. Absolutely. But right now, I'll have to say there's two things that content marketing provides to the entrepreneur, or in this case, we'll just use you as an example, right? Even though you're just, is, is an agency as opposed to an e-commerce store, but nonetheless, is one, relationships, and two, the like, knowledge, thinking, and sharing, and, and creating that you're not going to get if you spent this time with me instead inside your Facebook ad dashboard. <laughs> right? Like you're not going to build a relationship. Like I, I, we could later, I'd be like, Hey, Karna, I'm in Chicago. Let's get lunch. That happened because we're doing this. That's not going to happen if you're inside your AdWords or your Facebook ad dashboard. Again, I'm not ripping on it. That's a great channel, but there's just something that's like extremely, um, you know, relationship building there. And then the other is creativity is that you just get to think about things in an interesting way and, and kind of noodle with those ideas in your head. And yes, you can try different ad copy, et cetera, but it's not the same. So yeah, there's something there that's really it's, genuine. It's fun to be creative. And I would be lying if I said part of the reason I have a podcast and do screencasts isn't just so I can buy cool gear, right? Like I have a very nice <laughs> microphone, headset, studio light, et cetera, which I can entirely justify as business expenses because it is for this. It is for teaching. It is about learning and sharing what you've learned and, and what you do. So that works. It works well. All right. So turns out you have successfully riled me up and content marketing is fun and sexy. Good job. Now, when we talk about content marketing, we gave some examples like podcasts, YouTube videos, blog posts. All right. What are the you're the expert. You tell me what are the different types of content marketing that store owners could do? Not that you should you should, you know, some people I've so people get overwhelmed. They write down every single thing everyone suggests, including me, and then they go. They end up with a giant to-do list and do nothing. So just pick the th- before yeah, we even get into it. Pick the thing that appeals to you. Just the one thing at the end of this episode. That's fine. You don't have to do all of this. You make yourself crazy. But all right, what are the different types of content marketing store owners could do? Could not should. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually glad that you mentioned the overwhelm because that's sort of colossal mistake number one. So I want to probably gloss over the list because the list is probably everyone knows it and it's not going to teach you anything new. Whereas what do you do after you have the list is, is the key part where we see biggest mistakes made. So lists, written content, massive advantage of course, is that that's what Google indexes. Google indexes videos as well. Um, so that's there, but uh, historically, right? The majority of Google searches are to written content. So written content, so blog posts, et cetera. And then um, video-based content. So historically, the number two search engine, right, is YouTube. Uh, videos are also starting to take off in channels like like uh, Facebook and then perhaps Instagram, et cetera. And then I'm just going to group in a wide swath, just like social. So normally when we talk to like B2B type clients and companies, we don't mention this as much. Um, but on e-commerce, it's something you can't ignore. There are, I would argue entire million dollar e-commerce brands built on largely a single social channel. Like you said, there's always a mix. At some point, it's always a mix, but built on, right, initially, social channel. Um, those, I would say, are key. And so then there's different types, right? So on social, it would be, for example, Instagram-type videos versus 
audiences like Facebook engagement, et cetera. But Instagram is probably has highest engagement rates last time I checked and it's just really heavy for a lot of e-commerce because it's visual. I right? e-commerce is, is generally a visual thing. You want to show products and it, it also naturally um, has a, a culture of influencer marketing, which is sort of just accepted. It's like widely accepted that you're following famous people and every like this post from them is plugging something and people just sort of accept that as okay. Um, so that's part of the Instagram culture. That's yeah. interesting. So thing. I would say probably think uh, of it in, in those three things. Some advice Written, I video. Gave. I was, <laughs> sorry, we're stepping on each other there. I was going to say there's a, an interesting point in there and two things I, well, two things I want to unpack. Um, but the one, you said there's a culture of promotion. I, well, I just wrote this as a, I gave this as advice to a friend and then ended up turn, crafting it into a tweet. Um, but I said, don't let modesty get in the way of self promotion. I certainly don't. Um, the, <laughs> the, so with, it is a entirely different animal to, you know, walk into a Starbucks and announce to a bunch of strangers, Hey, look at my shoes. Look at how much my <laughs> shoes cost. And look at this, this celebrity who also wears these shoes. You can't do that, right? We're violating the social contract, but the social contract does not apply in the same way when we're marketing, right? Especially on social media. It is implicit that we all are kind of in on the joke as to what's going on here. So it is perfectly fine to self promote shamelessly. Um, especially if you make it fun and tongue in cheek, but that's more my style coming through. Um, sorry, all right. So I interrupted, and you had you were going to summarize your list. Yeah. So there's three that the, those are three buckets in which I would think if with an e-commerce store of content marketing, written content, uh, video-based content, and social. And really, if I wanted to to put um, to put actually, so. Kurt, I can't not mention podcasts, although typically for e-commerce, I haven't seen lots of examples. You could maybe clarify. I don't see a lot of e-commerce brands with a podcast on the topic that are then promoting um, stuff, but but it's probably there. But I'd probably put the order written, social, which again, in in my experience, is heavily sort of um, Instagram-y dominant, and, and um, then video, right? I- and video... It's almost sort of search as well. Go yes. ahead. Yeah. And I don't, they're all awesome. Like there isn't a wrong choice there. Um, you know, you just have to find the thing that works for you and your audience. Um, and it, it may take some experimenting for the longest time. I, I just hammered away at blog articles and it was a chore and I didn't love it. And then I found, kind of found my voice and was really got good with, um, writing newsletters and all right, things got easier and those worked well, but they don't have, you know, newsletter, you send it once, that's kind of the end of it. You post it your blog, maybe people find it in organic search. It's not the same. The podcast, for whatever reason, that's the medium that it worked for our audience, it worked for me. But you're right, I don't see a ton of – when I do see an e-commerce brand with a podcast, I'm consistently – I'm surprised and impressed and happy to see it. And Because I think like really niche things work well for podcasts, um, and I think that's people's fear – with doing a podcast They're like well it's too it's too niche no one will listen no man the more niche the better um it's just it, it's like man this is exact for yeah you won't have a ton of subscribers but for your true fans they're gonna love right. it um right. and yeah i just saw gary v the other day gary vanderchuk saying that voice is the future not but like in terms for everything it's like voice commerce voice control podcasts and you could see you know Gary V putting a ton of clear effort and resources into his own podcast um so I, I wouldn't discount that one yet 
uh, whether, <laughs> regardless of what you think of Gary V, I'm a, I go back and forth. Um, a little <laughs> intense. The, um, I think one thing, one thing I'll say, um, Kurt, that, that you said that I want to comment on is sure. you're right. Like it's not, um, one channel over the other. And I think, but I think there's a couple key kind of really important caveats there. Right. So, so if you're listening to this and you're like, okay, so yeah, I know. Like there's these different channels. So what should I do? I think, um, I would say, think about it in a couple of ways. One, try to dominate one channel initially. Right. So again, like if you've already dominated one channel, you're far ahead and you're moving on to others, whatever. But most people haven't. 99% have not. So think of one channel and, and then what's the criteria for picking those channels? Criteria is twofold. Number one, something that you can execute. And like I said, for most companies early on, especially entrepreneurial types, is is going to be you yourself doing it because of what I mentioned before. Cash is a limited resource. Time is less limited. Right? Time, of course, is ultimately much more limited than cash, right? But you generally don't have as much and you have a lot of time. So that means, just like you, Kurt, said, like you found your voice and I was you were on a, on a nice thing, but I was about to interrupt and say, so to speak. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah, it, it was a pun and I didn't even know, or double entendre, rather. And I didn't even know. <laughs> right. Right. So that, that, this, maybe you can be a poet after this. Um, oh, I love so blog no, a poet. That was a dad joke. I was some, and I love <laughs> me some dad jokes. <laughs> I have a three month old. So I'm, I am literally three months into starting dad joke. Well, is this your first child? So, <laughs> it is my first child. So right, I'm got, literally a newbie to dad jokes. I got three and it really, it took them like they, uh, the oldest are six and eight and, Man, I swear, I think they had to be four and six before they really understood, like, oh, he's being silly, and this is a dad joke. <laughs> it took some time. Whereas the baby, everything I do is funny. Yeah, we, I have a 14-month-old. Yeah, I'm going to be... I'm going to be very sad the first time my daughter says that I made a quote-unquote dad joke. Oh, no, you'll be uh, so anyway. proud. You'll be proud. So, 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 so you have to pick what, what works for you, right? Because you're going to be investing the time and you shouldn't be slogging away at something right. um, that doesn't ideally. Right. So that's number one. But the other criteria I think is where a lot of the strategy comes in, which is what your niche and your target customers, where do they naturally already hang out online, but specifically what are their watering holes? Make, yeah. Make where are their watering holes and where do they make buying decisions? Right. And that, I think, really dictates what kind of content marketing a particular e-commerce brand does. And so, so if that lines up with criteria one, what you naturally do, you're like, congratulations, you're in a lucky spot, you're in a fortunate spot. If it doesn't, you have some tough decisions to make, but you can still get around it, right? So I can dive in, um, if you think, right, about, about that particular thing and which e-commerce brands generally um, – uh, align with different content channels. Ready? Hold on. Let me back up. I want to... Uh, oh, I want... The other thing I want to unpack is there is the idea of cross-promotion. So if I make a video, I could post that to Facebook, <laughs> I could post it to Instagram, and I could post it to YouTube. And what's interesting is same content, you will have very different results on all three. Yeah, right. That's true. And and a, and a historic... Like a very classic way to do that is blog content gets promoted on social. And sometimes 
well, so that's one classic like uh, cross promotional like pattern that we see all the time. And then another classic one is video. It starts with video and it gets promoted on all kinds of different channels. So if you have, if you are, are in the video space, you record a video, you can then splice it, transcribe it, write a little bit about it and put it on a blog post that allows Google to index the text article. And also you get the YouTube search results. And then you can also put clips on say like Instagram or somewhere. Um, clips or screenshots and promote it there and say like link in the link in bio, right? Those are very classic, uh, cross promotional patterns. Oh yeah. I just, uh, you know, I, I challenged myself to do this weekly YouTube series for however many months. Um, and it was, I did the whole thing in my damn car and once it got really cold out, I stopped. Um, but now just recently we used rev.com. I'll put it in the resources. They transcribe your stuff for a buck a minute. And you don't even have to download. I just link them to the YouTube video. Um, well, my our project manager did it, but and then it came back with a Google Doc. She cleaned it up. Boom! Now I'll edit them, and now I'll have Facebook posts, newsletter posts, or newsletters and blog posts, all from a video I've already created. And videos are really easy. Well, once you get a feel for it, doing those monologue, like a five ten minute monologue, really is, is not that tough. You come up with your bullet points and you go, and as long as it's something you're passionate about, it's not tough. Um, so yes, absolutely. Um, okay. You were moving into your, I could feel it. You were moving into your next sport. Next point. It was, um, it was, it was how to like naturally the donation types of e-commerce brands and how they align with different content channels. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. This is something that, that we have talked about a lot at Grow and Convert, my co-founder and I, and here's for e-commerce, I think a, a simplistic framework. And of course, like before I get angry emails, yes, there's a bunch of asterisks, exceptions, that's just life, right? But just general general frameworks is if there is an existing, if your brand niche topic and audience has, is, is something that people naturally read and learn about, then um, there's a certain, then sort of written and video, like deeper content is something that I think you should seriously, seriously consider and could have big ROIs. Okay. So I'll give examples. So that would be things like fitness. So you can imagine, for example, a yoga site. There is a massive like community. I don't know what to even call it. Just like this world of reading and learning about yoga. Anyone who does yoga basically has learned and continues to learn about it and read about it and look up different things, right? And so that, it absolutely makes sense to do that, right? It would absolutely make sense for a, a like a brand or something to, to write how-to articles or of course video would be naturally like it makes sense, right? If you could dominate YouTube on that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, other examples of this kind of stuff would be, um, parts right so like how to's on like wooden furniture like like if you sell parts for people who do do it themselves motorcycle repair cars that kind of thing those if there's a natural like place where people are googling and searching how to build this and i need this part or whatever then you know written articles that would show up in the search results are very natural for your audience whereas that probably wouldn't make sense to have some like insta celebrity that is like 20 year old and, and extremely attractive be like showing your like, you know, boat motor part. Like that, that's, that's not natural. 
for your for your niche, right? The opposite style of e-commerce brand are are just sort of lifestyle community type or or commodity type products that people don't read a lot about. So if I was selling t-shirts, right? Like no one's like Googling how-to articles and reading articles about t-shirts or jeans um, or this and that. I mean, there's maybe a little bit of it, but mostly you're buying clothing because you saw it and it looks good or you're in the market for like, you know, you need like a new swimsuit or you need like shoes or you need some summer outfits and you're like searching for it and you're, you're going for the product itself. There, there's isn't a community about reading about it and learning about it. Those, I think that's the big thing to decide where on that spectrum you are. And like anything in life, it's a spectrum, right? There are people that are deep into one side versus deep into another. And if you're more in that commodity type space, then I think don't push, I would say don't push too hard on written how-to type content. You see other e-commerce brands, your friends, colleagues, whatever, like quote unquote killing it with how-to content. Think about that and be like, well, where are they on the spectrum versus me? So if I have like my like t-shirt brand or e-commerce store, I mean, what am I going to write about? Like who's, who's searching like how to wear it? Like if, so for example, if I started like Davish's menswear brand, I mean, I, I'm not searching and no guys that I know, friends of mine are searching like how to wear a t-shirt. Yes, there's a little bit of like some people searching for like men's fashion tips, et cetera. But really there, it's like if I see something I like, so you think about like, you know, Google PLAs, Instagram, uh, things like that, right? In terms of channels and content stuff would be like that. Whereas, again, my yoga brand, there's like uh, nu- nutrition is a big one. Supplements, CrossFit, that kind of thing. Is, I, I keep going towards fitness because that's just what's on my mind right now. But those are, are really big on people reading and learning um, and then buying as a result of it. Uh, let me ask you the, the converse question. Are there stores or brands where content marketing isn't a good idea? Is this a one-size-fits-all? Like, there's everyone needs to do some kind of content marketing? Or are there is there any situations where, man, just don't waste the time on it? I think, I think my answer is no in light of the opportunity, in light of basically calling like social media type stuff content marketing. So if you think content marketing is like blog post writing, then yes. I think those commodity style brands like lifestyle apparel, et cetera, that, that just are not, people aren't like reading about it. There's no kind of real, or there's not large amounts of people reading about it. Then just blogging and, and YouTube videos, you can probably make it work, but you have to be really good at it. It's not going to be necessarily easy. And I've seen many brands, I've seen many brands try really hard on content and their blogs get almost zero traffic. And we know because we have access to their Google Analytics because of our job. Um, their blogs basically do nothing for them because people aren't reading about it. They don't shop. They, they just are, are there to shop for that. But in light of, of that kind of whole like social media, Instagram type community, that's working really well for a lot of e-commerce that should probably work as well. So, so I guess if you had a brand where there's no culture of reading about the community and learning and how to type stuff and it's not something that makes sense to do social media stuff. So that would be really boring, um, simple things. Like, I don't know, like, and I'm sure there's going to be people that will like email you or me and saying, saying I'm wrong about this, but I'm just trying to, off the top of my head to think of a really kind of like rote uh, thing. If you were selling like 
basic office supplies, like pens or something like that, that were not like kooky, interesting, like funny, just like basic, like post-it notes and pens. What are you going to do, right? So like you could write how-to articles about what office management, like is there a lot of people searching for that? Probably not. Probably the people that are searching are just Googling to find office supplies as fast as possible that meet their criteria and that are cost-effective. And there's probably not a lot of people like browsing their like Insta feeds or Facebook feeds and thinking like, oh, this celebrity is using 3M post-it notes. Like I should go buy right. them. <laughs> Those <very> maybe. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to see a, a lot of content around stuff like that. Around yeah, commodity goods is the I think the idea. It won't work. But as soon as it's around a hobby good or right. uh, yeah, anything related to a hobby, it'll work well. So you're like office supplies. It's not going to work. Fountain pens, I have had to Google, once I started using fountain pens, I've had to Google about fountain pens several times, and all of those places should have tried to sell me something and didn't. I mean, if someone literally said, man, this is the best ink and to use for your fountain pen, and this right. is the best legal pad for that ink, and we have it as a bundle, I wouldn't even think twice. I was a cause. $10, 15 20 bucks shipped? Take my money. Yeah. Um, so that, like, that... I like yeah, the that same one goes for your podcasting example. Exactly. So, so that those would be ones where there's like written type content. So there's either like, can you? Is, is there something that's kind of fashion coolness about it? Then maybe don't. So that would be just like, like athletic apparel. There's this whole Instagram culture around like really like like this Instagram fitness community that just these like hot people that work out all the time that then like post photos of themselves in workout clothing because they have their own line or they're, or they're part of like some other fitness line or whatever. And they say, oh yeah, leggings from this place. And like the top is from that place or whatever. That's like classic. So th there's sort of a fashion thing. And there's even just like regular fashion. It's not workout related. Just like my dress is from here and my shirt is from there. That is like, there's kind of this sex appeal aspect to it. So you'd want to see other people doing it, look at it. That also applies to some sports, right? So like basketball, et cetera, there's like shoes and there's just that whole culture around that. Um, maybe even car type stuff. So there's that. And then th those maybe are not how to's again, like, like most people are not Googling how to wear jeans, but if they see some celebrity wearing like really cool pants or whatever, they might ask like, Oh, where'd you get that from? Right. Um, but then what you said is then the how-to niche, which is hobbies, and stuff, fountain pens. Your podcasting example is perfect. So two contrasting examples. If I sold, sold like basic headphones, just like cheap earbud, et cetera, to plug into whatever, people aren't really how-toing that. They're just like going on and searching and trying to find a good price. But if I, if I was selling really high-end headphones to people like you or music people in recording studios and high-end microphones, that switch is a massive switch in terms of whether or not content marketing works for you because there there's a whole world of content marketing the moment that price point gets high enough and the product quality gets high enough all of a sudden you're addressing a different market where there's this huge amount of people just like learning and huge amount is relative to your market right and so but there's people learning and googling and asking and so if you follow someone who you consider in your case like the absolute like know-how in terms of podcasting and they say by the way the only headphones i ever use is this the only podcast recording app i ever use is that the only microphone i ever use is that i mean there is a high chance that you're going to be you know at least on the product page if not adding the cart there 
Oh, absolutely. And what's it uh, to your building on that? What happens here with a lot of this content marketing is you are establishing yourself as an authority in that space on whatever this topic is. And then now suddenly your recommendation, you have demonstrated that your recommendations have, uh, have weight behind them and people are, are more likely to take them seriously. And as far like, you know, we're, we're not saying this is exclusive to or ex- exclusive of, um, paid marketing. Quite the opposite. If you have a piece that you know works really well, say an article, how to do X. All right. You can drive inexpensive traffic to it from Facebook. And then you want to get really crazy. You get put an exit intent pop up on there, get people on your newsletter or, um, and then additionally, remarked people who view that article with the exact product that you had recommended in it. So, like, these things totally work together. Um, so taking a step back, it sounds like step one, step one is going to be figure out the overlap of what watering holes your clients are going to, or your customers are going to, rather, and what plat, what content creation media platforms you're comfortable with how do i know what those watering holes are how do i figure that out yeah so one you know if you're in the space you should know what your competitive landscape is so the first place i would look at is who are the best people doing what i'm doing so for a lot of entrepreneurs you're starting an e-commerce store on some niche you're not the first one selling in that niche, and that's okay. And I imagine you've discussed this a lot. A lot of business advice has said this, that for the initial lay people getting into their first business venture, there is this notion of, oh, I need to find something that no one else is selling because then I'm the only one, and that's actually extremely false. You know, in, Anyone who's done business before knows that, that or that's actually a red flag. You need to find a niche where there's an existing market because that means demand is there. And if there's no existing market, then you may not have figured, you may not know something that other people have figured out that there's no demand there, right? So if that's the case, look at what the best people are doing. Where are they dominating? So just follow your competitors. And there's, and don't worry about market size moment. Like there should be enough market for you as well. And so, and, and, and follow them. And so that's, that's literally the number one place I would look. And the other is just, if you know your audience, um, you should be able to figure out where they would go. Generally people in e-commerce entrepreneurs, are selling something in a particular niche because they have some passion about it. Although that's, you know, maybe I should, I should walk back from that statement. There's also a lot of people just picking niches. Um, there's, there's two types of e-commerce entrepreneurs. Let's put it this way. Instead of me making claims about which one is greater, there are the types that are starting a store because they have a personal passion about that particular topic. And then there are the types starting a store because they have a passion for business and they chose the niche, um, based on whatever research they did. For the people that have a passion on it, you should automatically know where the watering holes are. I would be shocked if you didn't. For the other people, look at your competitors um, and or ask users, right? Think, figure out a place to get in front of the users where you would do your marketing anyways or your existing users if you have some level of traffic, your existing customers, and just send them a survey. Send them an email survey in exchange for some gift card or some free shipping code, something like that, and ask them questions over email. You can use SurveyMonkey or whatever free survey, Google Forms. And ask them, you know, what blogs do you read? Like, which social channels do you go? Who do you, if you know a certain social channel, you can say, who do you follow on Instagram? Or who do you follow on Twitter or wherever? Um, and, and learn that way. That's actually extremely valuable. Yeah, without, without asking, without actually talking to your customers, 
everything you think you know about them is a best guess. So I always encourage people, oh my gosh, you have to talk to them, whether that's on a forum, Reddit, email, Facebook group, or God forbid, pick up the phone, right? Pick up the phone and call people. Um, And that's, my wife says, oh, here's the the best the best app for growing your business. If you let me look it up for you. Phone.app, right? That's the one that's going to really move the needle. Um, but people are phone phobic, right? And yeah. you know, millennials, I'm 32. I squeaked in, I'm a millennial. Pick up the damn phone. Um, it will that's that's how big boy businesses run. There's a lot of phone calls. Um, it's just synchronous communication, man. So the, yeah, another hack for uh, another hack for getting info from your users before we finish this line of thought um, that I use all the time is is little surveys or polls on your actual website. So there are I'm unaffiliated with any of these tech companies, so I'm just listing out what we use. So we use Hotjar. There's, that was I think Qualaroo is another more expensive version. I love Hotjar. And yeah, and so Hotjar does allows you to do a lot of things for your, for any website, right? recordings and heat maps and all that in one but one of the most useful things is this little poll so we use them in our conversion optimization to ask like questions about how if they're having trouble finding things or why did they abandon their card and this and that but you can also ask it to learn about the users to learn about which marketing channels i.e content marketing would be great so you can ask and if you don't want to disturb their buying hats so people often are like well i don't want this thing popping up mm-hmm. on my thing Hotjar slides up on the bottom right or bottom left, so it's not a super intrusive pop-up. It just, it, you, you can check it out. It has a look and feel that's very different from like the promo, 30% off, here's your discount code, welcome pop-up that most people are finding really annoying. It's a, I'll call it a slider instead of a pop-up. Number two, just you can ask it uh, on exit intent or you can ask it, you can actually even ask it on your success page or your receipt page, right? So you can say after the order has gone through, have some questions or things there. Be like, hey, thanks for ordering. I want to learn more about you. Like, you know, or just ask one question at a time. Which social channels do you? What blogs do you read? Right? Like, type, and you just have them type it in. You can just scan through. So don't worry about, you know, quantifying the results and all. You're just trying to get ideas that way. Right. And there's, yeah, it's always, always tremendously valuable. It's very rare that you're going to talk to customers, do surveys, and not come away with some surprising takeaway that you didn't right. realize. I mean, you don't know what you don't know until you ask. So once I've got, I figured out, you know, I've done the surveys, I've got this data, I know where I should be, what kind of media I should be creating and where, I've got a plan for it. How wh- how do I know what to make? Like, wh- wh- What do I talk about? What do I write about? What do I do? Yeah, so uh, that goes back to your customers, right? So, so let's go one at a time. Let's assume what we're talking about right now are the sort of what you called hobby type niches. So the, so the types of brands that have customers that are reading and learning, right? So we'll leave like lifestyle type content marketing out of it. And this is where a lot of our, my expertise is, right? And so there, let's, let's think of two of the biggest dominant ones, written content and video type content. So it's explaining how to case studies, stories, and things like that. So if we go in that, in that realm, the big thing is knowing what your audience's questions and concerns and pain points are. And we come back to asking. So you have to be able to figure this out, right? So there's a couple ways to do it. Number one is, again, surveying or asking your customers. So that, that I, I know it's not sexy. Benji and I have talked about this all the time. And, and you just talked about phone.app and how 
important it is and how yet people resist it. If you're afraid of the phone, fine, right? So I absolutely 100% agree with you, Kurt. But if people are afraid of the phone, which a lot of people are, that's okay. In e-commerce, you could say, hey, there's no culture of an e-commerce brand like calling you afterwards. That's weird. Okay, fine. Like, I won't push it. So then, like, but there is a culture of e-commerce companies sending emails. There is a massive culture of people coming sending emails, right? So in the midst of your promotional emails, advertising your deals, I think it's extremely valuable to also send some asking or inside of one of them asking about this. So say, hey, like take our quick survey or just reply to this email and tell, tell me like what you read or what questions you have. What are your biggest concerns? So like, let's, let's pick a particular um, niche again. So one of our clients was like a supplement company, like paleo, paleo, keto type supplements. They would sell these supplements for it. So let's assume it's sort of a fitnessy audience. You would ask like, hey, like what are your biggest concerns about this? So they would ask questions about like weight loss and health and fitness and like hitting fitness goals and this, that, and the other. And so you should be able to get, you should be able to detect patterns that way and then be able to then produce articles. So if your medium of choice was written because you know a lot about this and you can write it or you can hire a cheap writer or whatever, then you have, there you go, there's your list of them. Alternatively, if your thing is video, then you can say, hey, like I'm going to record a series of videos and I have this list of things that they're concerned about. That's asking them and figuring it out would be key. The other, the other possibility is then going to Google because everyone has asked Google. So Google is the treasure trove of this information. And the nice thing is Google and other sites actually index what people are asking about. So a tool to go to is Google Keyword Planner, which Kurt, I imagine you can link to for people that don't know. The Google Keyword Planner is just Google tool to, it, it's, it's the tool they built to help people that are doing AdWords, but you can use it for, for um, search engine stuff as well. And you can like search for certain keywords and they'll tell you like rough estimates of monthly search volume. And then there's a ton of other SEO tools that'll compete with each other that supposedly do the same thing. So you could, I, I, I'm not, I mean, there's like AREFs and Moz and SEO. Those will cost some level of money. They probably have some free plans, et cetera. You can also just Google like free keyword, um, keyword research tools probably and get a ton of free ones. And that way you can kind of look at it. And then the last one is just a kind of poor man's version of that, which is just start searching and look at Google's auto search suggest. That's my favorite. It's just so easy. Yeah. And so Google, it's in their own interest to auto suggest things that are most popular. So if you start searching, you know, like, um, like keto formula or something or like whey protein, whatever, or uh, something around whey protein that Google's auto search suggests will just ask a bunch of questions, right? You can go one step further and go into those articles. So, so search something related to your term and that you're just guessing that people are going to search for. There's two other places to find stuff. One is forum results. So if you know of forums and, and communities around that, go in and just look at the comments. So Quora, niche forums around your thing. So in the fitness community, there's a ton of like fitness type forums, yoga community, ton of yoga forums. Um, I mentioned also like auto parts, right? There's like a ton of forums. If people ask that's I would go there like number one, right? Um, and then the other is just comments inside blog posts. So you look at competitor blog posts or blog posts that are showing up in the first couple pages of Google, you know, for your guest terms. And then inside there, 
you should be able to find in the comments people asking additional questions the blog post doesn't answer. And here's the thing. Most blog posts kind of suck. They're going to be like some like rote top 10 list stuff. So the questions inside there will often get you the actual question. So there'll be some silly top 10 list with a bunch of basic information that everyone knows. You'd be like, how is this person ranking on the first page and they're getting all of my traffic? That's fine. So you put your anger aside for a second and look at the comments. People will then be like, yeah, but I tried that baking recipe, but this and that didn't work. Like, what about this? Or has anyone ever else tried this? I went on this diet and it didn't work. I have not tried that. Like, that didn't work on my house when I tried to fix it with blah, blah, blah. Like, people have that. See if you can detect patterns that way. Open up a little spreadsheet or a Word document or whatever and just start listing it out and mass grouping. And that's your content creation, like ideation um, uh, starting point. I, I love it. I mean, it's exactly what I have been doing. Um, I just I didn't hear it put so formally before. Just kind of what I figured out. Um, it's very satisfying when it's like, oh, we came to the same result from different places. Yeah, no that that that's it. You have laid out the full plan. Number one, talk to your customers. Oh my gosh, figure out what media's you're comfortable with. All right, now compare that with what you learn from your customers. And now do some research for what your topics are. And the topics are really what questions do they have? And those questions are really what pains or problems are they experiencing? And then answer that. And just because someone else answered it, who cares? You and you know, take an unconventional opinion with it. Or write, you know, write two thousand words and call it the ultimate guide. Whatever you're comfortable with, try that. Um and if it's so long as it's it's relevant to your audience, it's gonna be helpful. Um, this has generally been, been my experience. All right. Yeah. And if you, if, if you have differing views, um, last thing I'll say, if you have differing results that come from talking to your customers or Google or looking at editors or forums, I would always let your customer's opinions trump. And I'll tell you one personal story on that is in my CRO agency. So this is AB testing, conversion optimization, um, and so my customers are probably a lot of the listeners here, right? So like e-commerce brands and generally ours is bigger. We say like $10 million revenue minimum to, for it to be really worth it. For those I've noticed, there's a very interesting thing. A lot of my competitors, other CRO agencies write articles that I find fascinating on the details of like nerdy AB testing things statistical interpretation of A-B tests and some details of how they implemented this, that, and the other, and they reduced flash, which is this artifact that happens on your site when you run A-B tests, all this stuff. But talking to my customers, I do that weekly or bi-weekly <laughs> because they're my clients and I talk to them all the time. I have one-on-ones with them. I'm on you know, Slack with them, etc. When I think about their psychology, very few of them ask or care about those. They hire people like us to just take care of that. What they care and think about is one thing, and I'll just say this with the competitors of mine that are listening. They care about things like what other brands in their niche are doing. And for a lot of A-B testing nerds, that was actually really just kind of, it's almost too simplistic. They would say, no, no, don't just blanket copy other people in your niche, et cetera. That's, I agree with them. That's true from the right time. But the point is, our customer doesn't care. See, there's some subtlety there. And that, that same subtlety, I think, 
you should really be careful about, that what your competitors are writing about may not line up with what your customers are writing about. So to complete my analogy, things about just analyzing particular industries, if I wanted more apparel clients or more furniture stores with clients, analyzing and just being like, here's a study report of the product pages or the checkout flow or, you know, the homepage copy of, you know, 20 of the top furniture online retailers in the U.S. I know for a fact because they share them with me and they talk about them and we've talked to them many times. My customers love things like that. Whereas a detailed article on A-B testing statistics, they don't, they don't even care about because they hire, they hire people like us to do it. They don't care about it. They don't, it doesn't resonate with them. They just don't listen to that. Um, and my competitors are writing the latter, not the former. A lot of them, right? And so you got to be really careful and think, what do my customers actually care about? And if you think that you're super advanced on a topic and your customers' questions and feel or there's a seeming way of like, oh, is it too simplistic? This seems too basic, whatever. You, you need to override your own instinct and be like, go with the customer. If they're thinking in a basic way, go that way because that's where that's what they care about. That's what they're going to read about. Right. And you can insert some of your own stuff, but you need to do what they think about and what they care about if you want to get them. Major key alert. That it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. Don't write for yourself. Don't write for your competitors. Write for what your customers want. And it is it is easy and seductive to write about yourself and what you're doing or going through. Um and you'll often just end up speaking you're just speaking to your competitors for in this masturbatory way because it's what's what's easy and natural. Yeah. But it's not going to yeah. do anything for you. Or it's going right. to get traffic, but it's like it, it'll be unqualified. It won't assist you in any way. Yeah, um, it's like the nutrition expert writing about some like biology study about how some enzyme does blah blah blah. I don't care. Yeah. But if get me to the end result. Some, like right, like Monday through Friday diet plan or meal plan, I'll be like, "Oh, that's interesting. I could use that recipe." For other nutrition experts, that's so simplistic. It's so basic. Yeah, it's right. to but them, it's so customer, basic they want to do it. Yeah, like I don't want to need to read some science paper on some, like the latest between the carbohydrate digestion rate versus the protein. Like, I don't care. It's like, okay, what should I eat? <laughs> that, be really careful about that. All right. This has been, this has been enlightening. I greatly enjoy your, your enthusiasm and excitement around, around content marketing, Davish. Where could people go to learn more about you? I'll say I want to so, I want to get this off my plate. I want to hire you to do it. Where do I go? <laughs> so go to growandconvert.com. You can read a bunch of our articles there. Um, there's a form there where you can fill out if you wanted to talk to us about working with us. Um, all the details of our service are up at the top at, at a work with us page. Um, for content marketing, if if your brand um, is doing, I'd say, like upper seven figures, but ideally eight figures and plus when you want to increase conversion rates. That's the agency I've been doing for a while. It's growthrock.co. There's no .com there. Um, growthrock.co. Similar, you can learn about that as well. And I'm on Twitter at Davis, at Davis Canal, which is completely non-intuitive to hear and type in, but it's D-E-V-E-S-H-K-H-A-N-A-L. And I will, I will link to it because there's no way... I remember that if I don't. Davish, thank you again. This has been fantastic. Wonderful. My pleasure, Kurt. Before we go, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Zapiet who helped make this episode possible. 
Have you ever wanted to offer local pickup in your store? Or how about scheduled local deliveries? Zapiet's easy-to-use app helps thousands of merchants do just that, offer store pickup and delivery to their Shopify customers right in their store. They've just launched a massive update that adds a ton of new features. To learn more about it and start your 14-day free trial and get 10% off if you stick with it, head to zapiet.com slash podcast. That's Z-A-P-I-E-T dot com slash podcast. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.